as a state fan, as a graduate of Mississippi State University, I'm really thrilled about the Texas A&M win over Alabama because there's nothing quite like seeing your children succeed. You're listening to Midweek Starters. I'm Will Scarborough, joined by Turner Ennis and Dallas Austin. Shane Waller is in the most magical place on earth with his wife this week. He's riding the teacup rides right now. You know, a lot of people think that Shane's a roller coaster guy, but you know, you, you put him in the magic teacups and he has the best damn time. All right, so this week we have some NASCAR drama. Uh, Alabama loses out of nowhere. Uh, Definitely shakes up the college football playoff in the SEC West. Red River Showdown was maybe one of the best college football games of all time. It literally had everything. Washington football team, a lot of drama coming out of there. Everyone on the Giants team is hurt now. Uh, so Joe Judge is literally coaching a practice squad. We'll do some fantasy football hits and misses uh, as a mine and Dallas Austin's game is all dependent on Justin Tucker tonight, so we'll keep an eye on that. And also, J.R. Smith makes his debut in uh, college golf, and Tiger Woods was glimpsed walking without crutches or a limp, so that's always positive news. And we'll start with NASCAR drama. Dallas, would you fill us in on uh, what a dickhole Kevin Harvick is? Yeah, so we'll get to Kevin Harvick here in a minute, but just uh, a recap of the Bank of America Roval 400 from the Charlotte Motor Speedway road course. Uh, on Sunday, Kyle Larson pulled off the win with Tyler Reddick in second, Chris Buescher uh, finishing third. With that win, that uh, concreted Kyle Larson into the round of eight. So this will be the third round of the playoffs starting next week uh, here at Texas, at Texas Motor Speedway. Uh, the eight drivers to make it into the final eight were Kyle Larson, Denny Hamlin, Martin Truex Jr., Ryan Blaney. Kyle Busch, Chase Elliott, Joey Logano, and Brad Keselowski. So that's your top eight in points right now. And some of the drama that you were referring to, um, after a stage one win by Chase Elliott, he was coming back up through the field uh, past Kevin Harvick. And in one of the slower corners of the the track, Kevin Harvick accelerated, uh, rear-ended Chase Elliott, turned him around. Chase wound up backing uh, his car into the wall, smashing the, the back bumper and a lot of the back uh, frame. Um, and Kevin Harvick went on about his day. So um, Chase obviously had to stop. He had to pit, fix his car. Um, but luckily, the road course is so long, he did not go a lap down. Um, his team was able to make minimum speed. And so um, he was able to continue in the race. Um, at one point, Chase was running the fastest laps with a damaged car. And if you haven't seen it, I highly suggest you Google it and look at the car. Um, the back, I guess, bumper is held is only being held on with one piece of bare bond, so like a super duct tape kind of situation there. Um, and uh, eventually, that piece falls off. A caution comes out, and Chase Elliott's able to bunch it back up with the field. Um, so was still able to run uh, run the race. So as the race kind of kept going and going chase was doing better and better and making his way up through the field and with about 10 laps to go uh, chase elliott got within striking distance of kevin harvick and so all the announcers on tv were like oh what is chase going to do is he going to wreck harvick 
Um, I was thinking that myself. I was like, all right, let's put Harvick's ass on the wall. You know, he, he wrecked you, you wreck him. Let's, you know, fight it out. I texted the group. I was like, guys, you've got to turn and watch this race. Like there's going to be a brawl on the infield afterwards. And turns out, um, about, uh, Chase Elliott was probably about six to seven car lengths behind. And, um, Kevin Harvick locked up his brakes going into the first turn, couldn't turn the car and just smashed right into, to the wall. He missed the, the wall of tires by about two feet. And as uh, Chase Elliott went by, he hit his radio and told her spotter, that's some karma. So uh, with that, Kevin Harvick was out of the race, took himself out of um, the championship eight. And so his, his season is over in the post-race interviews. Um, Chase Elliott said, uh, just wanted to wish the number, the number four team, a merry off season and a happy Christmas, uh, poking at the fun that, that they didn't make it. And, uh, Kevin Harvick said, sometimes real life teaches you good lessons. I'm not sure if he is referring to himself that maybe he shouldn't have wrecked, uh, Chase Elliott and maybe karma wouldn't have caught to him. Or if he is just saying that, um, he was punishing Chase Elliott for the decisions that Chase had made earlier. So some good drama going in. A lot of people think it's over now. They've each kind of got an eye for an eye, um, especially with Kevin not being in the playoffs at this point. Um, really, anything he does would have to be payback um, and retaliation, which at this point he's got it. Uh, Chase was obviously the better driver. Chase's team did an exceptional job to get that car going um, and actually still allow it to take fuel the fuel receptacles in the back of that car. So yeah, overall a great team effort by the, the number nine Napa uh, Hendrick Motorsport Chevrolet. And uh, he continues on. So Dallas catch us up. I remember the drama from a few weeks ago that kind of led into this. The first wreck was at Bristol. And if I remember correctly, who put who into the wall the first time chase put Harvick into the wall the first time, or at least Harvick felt that way. Let's put it that way. So, at the first race, you're right back at Bristol. This has been a Kevin Harvick and, and Chase Elliott has been a thing for a couple of years now, but this, this year, this season's gripe really started at Bristol when a Kevin, Har uh, Chase Elliott made it three wide, which put Kevin Harvick, um, along the bottom and he couldn't hold position and slid up the, the racetrack and eventually put, uh, cut down Chase's tire and then Chase lost control and went into the wall. Um, with that, Chase came back out three laps down, but, but right behind uh, Kevin Harvick, passed him on the fresh tires, and then held Kevin up. Kevin was leading the race at this point. And so holding Kevin up eventually cost Kevin the race win, which would have put him through to um, this round, but he still made it anyway. Uh, but Kevin was not happy that Chase held him up and let someone pass him and, and cost him the race win. Yeah, it basically felt like he intentionally cost him the race. And then, so the assumption is that this uh, this wreck here, this last week at Charlotte, was his attempt to intentionally cost Chase his spot in the playoffs. Uh, Absolutely. Okay. De definitely a little, uh, some karma feels there. As uh, Do you think that Harvick locked up his brakes and went into the wall because he was driving... Uh, maybe extra hard or extra aggressively because he knew how close Chase was behind him, or you think he just made a mistake? I think a little bit of – I don't think it was Chase particularly that, that made him drive extra hard. 
um, before he wrecked out uh, the 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 bubble, kind of what they refer to as the bubble right around the cutoff line for the points was literally it was fluctuating minus two, minus three. Kevin was was above the line. Kevin was below the line. Chase and him were switching spots, so they were right there tied together in the points battle. And so I think that is what really drove him to, to push it a little further into the, the first corner and lock up the brakes. And one thing I forgot to mention here is Chase Elliott's dominance on this road course. So Chase Elliott has done really well on the road courses this year um, and in the past as well. His first uh, Cup Series win came on a road course. Uh, he has won the, He had won the previous two races at this racetrack. He had won stage one. So he was on his way to possibly winning this race. Uh, when when Kevin wrecked him, so that's kind of one thing to keep in mind um, was just his sheer dominance at this place. So. so, so maybe not so much driven by the fact that Chase was directly behind him in the on the actual course, but was directly behind him in the playoffs. Is is your opinion on the why maybe Kevin was driving yeah. a little harder than he should have been? Yeah, and I'm I'm sure Kevin Spotter was. Um, in his ear talking to him, telling him, you know, hey, you know, Chase is coming up. Chase has made up two points. I need you to pass two cars. Um, they were doing a lot of that, you know, doing that quick math right there, saying, all right, well, he gained one, so we have to gain one in order to get our spot back. So that could really um, – I think that played a, a big part into it. And, you know, just one mistake cost him, you know, the possibility to become a champion. So, Speaking of costing the possibility to become a champion – Little little shake up in uh, some college football going on today. I had to needle a Turner just a hair about that. The biggest takeaway from this weekend, yeah, Texas A&M beats Alabama, and the biggest takeaway that I see is that Mississippi State obviously dominated Texas A&M. They had a bye week. They play uh, Alabama next week. So uh, by comparison, I mean, do y'all think Alabama can upset Mississippi State? No way. It's the transverse <laughs> property. A is greater than B, B is greater than C, therefore A is greater than C. I mean, I'm They'll just stay. glad that, that Alabama's not in the same conference as Memphis, to be honest. I definitely think there's no way that Alabama upsets Mississippi State this week. Uh, I think Mississippi State is going to be upset, unfortunately. So upset that I've decided not to go to the game and just go to the, the race out here in Texas instead. I figured it'll be more interesting. Well, the crazy thing is, in the SEC West now, I mean, if we do, if we just flush the loss and say it was just a weird, a weird day for Alabama. I mean, they still control their own destiny. A and M is a two-loss team. Ole Miss needs Alabama to lose again for them to have a shot. Arkansas's out. What's really interesting to me is, as far as teams that still can control what happens to them in the SEC West. Unfortunately for Alabama, Auburn still doesn't have a loss in the West. They've, had, they've lost to Georgia and Penn State. And they play Alabama last. And they don't look like a bad team. So it's, if you're looking at teams that still control their own destiny a little bit, you're looking at Alabama, Auburn, and ironically, Mississippi State. I'm sorry. I did not listen to the thing you said. I just watched some crazy shit happen in this Indianapolis-Baltimore game. So I apologize for not paying attention to you. So I'll let Turner comment on on Alabama-Auburn football. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, I think my number one question is going to be where do Alabama and Auburn play? I'm looking it up right now. I see that they play at Auburn. So 
I always think Alabama is susceptible when they're forced to play at Jordan Hare. Definitely agree that Auburn controls their own destiny in the West. I guess technically Mississippi State does control their destiny in the West. If they can beat Alabama this week and remain undefeated for the rest of the season, I think my main concern there is State just doesn't feel consistent enough yet. I'm not saying they can't beat Alabama. I'm just or saying. Or good at football. <laughs> or good at football. But I mean, I think they're better this year than people thought. I mean, Much. they technically have, at this point, have beat A&M, who beat Alabama, and they have beat NC State, who beat Clemson. Two ranked teams. So they beat two ranked teams. They're a better football team than everybody gave them credit for coming in the season, for sure. They just don't seem to play consistently enough to, to make it through the rest of the season, controlling their own destiny. Auburn would be the one that scares me from the standpoint of if they look up and come into the game with essentially the same number of losses, SEC losses, the game's at Jordan-Hare, and crazy shit has happened to Nick Saban at Jordan-Hare in his 14 or 15 years at Alabama. It's like literally the one place that he seems to not have conquered at this point in his career. So, I mean, yeah, you got the kick six that Dallas is memeing to me so remind me of all my pain and misery he's also you've also got the year that nick marshall uh pulled up and on the little like original rpo pass and hit the bomb with a few minutes left so i mean they you got some bo nicks magic uh a couple years ago so i mean you definitely just feel like alabama's a little bit cursed at jordan Hare. so if you get to that point in the season i mean my only argument would be i'm not sure that i believe auburn can make it the rest of the way without another loss. But if they can, I definitely think they have a shot. Right. Or they could just kneecap Alabama. Yeah, at I mean the, at the end. I mean but it would have but it would literally have to be Ole Miss to do it to him at this point. Yeah, I mean they they can essentially prevent Alabama from getting in. Which would be hilarious in a way that the one year Georgia actually probably would beat them if they didn't get to play them. That would be hilarious from like Saban's standpoint of like, yeah, it was a bad year, but Kirby doesn't get to beat me. Yeah, it would almost be like you got to think that Kirby almost wants to play them the way his team has played so far this year. I mean, I think after last week, everybody wanted to put Alabama and Georgia up there at the top and then a gap in everybody else. And I think after last week, I mean, you got to say that there's Georgia, a gap, and everybody else in college football right now. So, I mean – Definitely would be pretty hilarious to see. You got to think it almost would like pain Kirby to not get the opportunity of the year that he feels like he's almost guaranteed to win to not get to play Alabama. Maybe Saban has some masterful, devious plan to avoid uh, Georgia this year. And I mean, he also kind of like slid the uh, knife in there by losing to Jimbo before what felt like a pretty inevitable loss to Georgia this year so that. Kirby doesn't get to be the be the first assistant to beat him this week too. So I mean, he's kind of killing a couple birds with one stone this season. Are you suggesting that Alabama purposefully lost? I definitely do not think Alabama pur- purposefully lost. But uh, if there was anybody devious enough to avoid losing to Kirby as his first loss, it's Nick Saban. Wills did point out he was smiling at halftime, and I've. I've seen that man only smile when he wins national championships. To be fair, when the game is close and competitive, he is typically more supportive 
and cheerful until the game is over and then he emphasizes their mistakes. He is trying to keep his team in a positive place in a very competitive game. It's part of like the sports psychology stuff that he studies if you read on it. In the games where they're up a ton is where he typically acts like a total asshole despite the fact that they're up like 49 to nothing and he get you get these famous like yelling Nick Saban moments. So to for him to be almost smiling and kind of kind of trying to be a little upbeat in the situation they went into the locker room down a lot in the first half like really doesn't surprise me. He's trying to basically like um, like almost admit to his team that like hey, I still feel confident we can still win this as he goes into the locker room. So that part really doesn't surprise me. I don't think that has a whole lot to do with this devious plan, but I still stand by the fact that it could be a devious plan. Hey, don't forget about number uh, three, Cincinnati, now that may uh, give Georgia a real run for their money after their marquee win over Notre Dame. And you, you talk about heading to the locker room. If we might also comment on the Alabama State Trooper and his absolute tackle of the lady fan running in front of Nick Saban as they were trying to get him off the field of all the A&M fans to the locker room. Uh, if that guy has any college eligibility, uh, I suggest a team pick him up because he laid her out. That's a, That uh, Alabama police officer saw what happened with Urban Meyer in Ohio last week and said that shit ain't happening here. And he, when she tried to get close to Nick Saban, he said, no, thank, no, thank you, ma'am. He went ahead and took care of that for Nick right there on the spot. <laughs> All right, so another big, probably one of the best college football games that I've watched in a long time. Red River Showdown had literally everything. Had blocked punts, uh, just an absolute shootout, a quarterback change. How do we feel about Oklahoma now? Because they've played a bunch of teams that they should have beat the crap out of closer than they should, and they finally got in a very, very adverse situation. Just brought like the game back from the dead. Really, after seeing them last week, I weirdly almost feel better about them because I thought Rattler what was was what was one of the things that was really holding them back this year. Now, more than likely, that's not the case. Uh, their offense will be more limited from a passing standpoint initially with Caleb Williams for sure. I mean, there's no two ways about that. He didn't play his high school senior year last year. He is more of a uh, put it up with my playmakers gonna make a play on it but it felt like the Oklahoma team was behind him in a different way than they were behind Rattler on the field on Saturday and if that team plays inspired which is the thing that Oklahoma seems to have struggled with this year uh if that team plays inspired then they're dangerous like let's just be honest I mean I don't know if they're like beat Georgia dangerous, but they're dangerous to maybe every other college team in college football. Yeah, absolutely no defense, but they can keep pace with anybody, I believe. But kind of to your point, Turner, when you come off the bench and and have like a 68-yard touchdown run on your first place from scrimmage in in the Red River Showdown, like that's got to lift your team up. So, yeah, and it was definitely visible on the sidelines. You could see that they that team was was so excited to have him out there and. And so excited that he scored that touchdown. Yeah, so. totally agreed that they were. They seemed super excited that he scored the touchdown. They, everyone was seemed super happy for him. The other key thing that I noticed was that as he came off the field, with the whole team excited for him, basically saying like, "You're a freshman. You worked super hard. You just broke a big play." As we're trying to make a comeback in the red, 
in the uh, Red River Rivalry, as it's now called. Um, I didn't see ever see Spencer come up to him on the sideline. Now, maybe the cameras missed it. I mean, it's possible. But I never saw Spencer come up to him on the sideline, which tells me that he already had some insecurities about Caleb maybe being more liked or more supported by the team. Uh, and then once he got all that team support, I mean, as soon as they pulled him, they just seemed to play different behind him. Even though he probably didn't make always the greatest throw in the second half, like the receiver was like, I don't care if you didn't make the greatest throw, I'm going to make the play for you. So they just seemed more behind him after the run. It's very noticeable to me that Spencer didn't come up to him. I mean, the thing I always think about was like the Tua Jalen situation back in the day. Both of them, when either one like came in or out between the championship game in seventeen or the SEC championship game in eighteen, both of them basically interchangeably like went up to each other, congratulated each other, very team type atmosphere, at least to the public perception, right? Absolutely. That didn't seem to happen with Spencer. Uh, he was kind of seemed sour after the game, despite losing, but despite pulling off the win, he kind of seemed sour, which I mean tells me that he's a lot more in this for me than a lot than the team, and I think that could be a lot of the issues that they're having from him as a, from a leader standpoint. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I noticed that that about Rattler too. I was because I, I was watching for it. I was like, all right is the guy that just got benched going to come out here and congratulate him. And like you said, maybe the, the TV cameras just didn't catch it, but I, I was looking for it and never saw it. But, yeah, that was a that was a completely different Oklahoma team behind Caleb rather than, than Spencer. So be interesting to see how they go forward. And uh, I'm going to give a lot of credit to Texas. They came out and played a hell of a ball game. We're up 14 to nothing within, like, the first, what, two minutes of the ball game. Like, being my pick, I was like, oh, this is going to be great. And then that's the game just went on. Like, being a Mississippi State fan, I'm so used to, to letdowns. And so, at least it was a, a slow overtime letdown. But great job to Texas. They actually stepped up and played a great ball game. Um, so, we'll see if they uh, those two teams maybe meet again. All right. So, looking at Oklahoma coming up, looking at Penn State losing, unfortunately, Oh, screw me. You uh, just saw it? No, you just but, saw it, didn't you? No, I just looked back and I saw him kicking it off and it was only nine points on the board. So, he missed the extra point. No, no they went for two. a two-point conversion. No good. So, th- that tells you their pl- gameplay the rest of the night is to yeah, go for two you, points. congratulations on your fantasy football win. It's uh, not over yet. The Ravens. Hey, well, hold on. So, sorry for all the listeners out there. To give you a recap of what's currently going on, as we're recording the podcast, we're also each watching – Monday night football at our homes. Dallas and Wills are playing each other. Dallas is up by eight to nine points coming into the game, and Wills has only Justin Tucker left. And as we're playing this, we're watching uh, the Ravens score touchdowns and go for two and get Mr. Tucker zero points for Wills. So uh, the the bitterness that you're going to hear from Mr. Scarborough here in a minute is going to be overwhelming, as some ESPN announcers would say. How do you lose to the Colts? Just not meant to win this week. I, literally just not meant to win this week. And also, to give the viewers at home a little idea, uh, and we might touch on this in a little bit on uh, hits and misses, I also had the Buffalo uh, defense this week. That really has put me in this position where a kicker matters. 
Yeah, we'll just we'll just skip to hits and misses since we're here. Just a quick quick recap of uh, college football playoff. Penn State's the second best team in the country. Not right now. They just got their quarterback hurt. Uh, screw them for screwing up my picks too. Really hot week for me. And here's hits and misses. Would you like to go first, Wheels? The longer we draw this out, I may have another uh, more of a miss to uh, to give. Well, then I'll go ahead and start. Um, kind of like I just talked about, the Bills' defense really stepped up uh, last night recording this on Monday against Kansas City with uh, a touchdown, two interceptions, two fumble recoveries, and only allowed 20 points. Um, so really good on, on the Bills' defense. I think uh, that long hour, almost hour, hour and a half rain delay at halftime really helped them out, gave them some time to, to sit back, relax, enjoy uh, a little bit of air conditioning and the dry weather there. Uh, so that's going to be really my big hit for the week. Um, my miss is, is really not a miss, but um, – Kyler Murray really did get shut down by San Francisco, at least more than I thought he should have. Um, he only had a he only had 239 yards and a touchdown, um, so I was expecting a little bit more production out of him. Um, he's been doing great. They're still, I believe, the only team undefeated in the NFL, so I can't complain too much. So it's been a not too bad of a week for me. Uh, as the gleeful Dallas kind of gets a little not too bad of a week there, you're stabbing at Wills. Uh, I'll go through mine. Uh, definitely the miss for me this week is going to be Russell Wilson. So had him starting. Looks like he'll be out for a significant amount of time. The best quarterback, in my opinion, on in our league at the time on the waiver wire was uh, Daniel Jones. Picked him up because it was a Thursday night game. Went ahead and dropped one of my bench players to have myself a quarterback and not have to re- rely on the waiver wire next week. Uh, and then Daniel Jones immediately went out with a concussion. So I now have two injured quarterbacks on my roster and nobody to start next week. So we'll be addressing that on the waiver wire this week. And then my hits are, I mean, I guess the main thing for me this week is my stars have showed out. I picked Jonathan Taylor in the first round of my work league. He's played well. Uh, you could probably say reach for Brady thinking he would have a really good year in my draft. He had a massive week. And then uh, Devontae Adams also had a massive week. So most of my stars performed as you would expect them to or even better this week so that's kind of been the big winner for me this week hits for me so i went zero rb strategy and my running backs were my hits this week and my miss uh i ran into this is when i knew i was gonna lose my match this week was actually on thursday when uh i pulled alex collins off the waiver wire because carson was ruled out i have for reference i have madison and hubbard as handcuff backs. Midway through the week, both Cook and CMC were supposed to play. Everyone was very confident that they had missed their time and they were going to play. So it's Thursday night. I have to play Collins. Well, Russ gets hurt. Everything possible that could go wrong for the Seahawks goes wrong in that game. Uh, he gets me 9.2 points. Then turns out that both Hubbard and Madison do play. They both go off. I was able to put in Madison, but I put him in a slot instead in front of Antonio Brown, and then I still wasn't able to play Hubbard. So that lost my fantasy game right there because trainers, which we'll get to in a moment, are not transparent about their players' injury designations throughout the week for various reasons. But also my hits were uh, Leonard Fournette. Did very well in daily this week, so I can't actually be too pissed off about losing to Dallas because I did very well in daily this week. Game's um, not over yet. We've talked about this year. A long field goal and an extra point away. 
they're I don't the math too, doesn't add up for the points too far but far behind for long I mean, to field be fair goal. if he gets a 50 plus yarder he's just a long field goal away oh I wasn't gonna true. go there I need, I need another 66 yard game winner that doesn't get any bonus points for being over 60 yards you should maybe talk to our, our team our league manager about that I will be writing a letter to the league manager after this season. While you're at it, if you could talk about the makeup of the each league or each division, I'd appreciate that too. Oh, we're going there. <laughs> okay. Shane leaves the podcast to go to Disneyland for one week and it's knives out. Damn. Well, you said earlier you were going to take a stab, so I took one too. Turner, you're up next. I mean, I'm, my staff's the same as Dallas's. I didn't know Shane was trying to create the NFC East and the NFC West uh, when he created the fantasy football divisions this year. Put all the good teams in the West except for one. Okay, so those are hits and misses. And touching on what you mentioned with old Danny Dimes going out of the game, like the entire Giants football team is on like our – I'm going to pull up the depth chart real quick here. I just say that man like – the fact that he got up and tried to walk off that field, he's got more balls than I have. Let's be honest, my little sissy ass would just have sat on the ground and be like, Ugh. I mean, he had he got up with, like, you could see the slobber, like, foaming down yes. his mouth. At first, I thought that was part of, like, the turf field that, like, got stuck. Because, you know, you saw all the, like, the turf, uh, like, the little black turf balls and everything. So I thought it was part of the field, but then I realized, no, that's just him slobbering and then almost falling over. All right, so just a read-through of the Giants. Daniel Jones, questionable. Saquon Barkley, doubtful. Kenny Galladay, doubtful. Darius Slayton, out. Sterling Shepard, out. Kadarius Toney, questionable. Andrew Thomas, questionable. Ben Bredson, out. Uh, Nick Gates, IR. Then on defense, we have Cam Brown, TJ Bunsen, Blake Martinez, Ellerson Smith, Joshua Kaula, uh, and Jabril Peppers. Oh, and I'm sorry, I had to scroll over. We're still not done. Uh, Williams and Wilson and Robinson also all out or on IR. And thank God special teams are just a repeat of the same. Uh, and don't forget that. Even if Tony is questionable from a health standpoint, he's likely suspended at least one game, if not multiple games. Yeah. I mean, at some point, everyone's hurt. What do you have to lose? I mean, maybe they just go on down to Alabama and Georgia and say, hey, you guys want to play a practice game for next year? Uh, I mean, how many more injuries are you away from like having tryouts? I'm going to go with three. I mean, we, we're we big Mike White fans on this podcast. But the first... They need to trade for Mike White. But we did get a little Mike Glennon last week. And it sounds like we're more than likely going to get some Mike Glennon again this week. Uh, Mike Glennon is no... He's the lesser Mike. But, you know, he, he didn't do half bad. I mean, he's only, what, 70? And besides, like, he threw, what, one or two picks? Yeah, he didn't do half bad. I mean, the, look... Those are Zach Wilson numbers. Like he, he's a prom, he, he's if he were to play for my Jets, we would consider him a promising young quarterback. Speaking of your Jets, can we get an update on the uh, jersey order? Has it been shipped? Is it like the on custom Mike White know? jersey has yet to arrive, but it's beautiful. It 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 is it is the hundred year anniversary black 
Jersey. Can I ask why you picked that one out of all the other options available? Fiscal responsibility. I was going to say it was the cheapest, wasn't it? It was also the most beautiful. Shut the fuck up. Okay, whatever. Well, let us know when it ships. Hey, and I just want to say the, the Jets made a valiant effort. Well, I hope they would make a valiant effort. I mean, their problem was they didn't let the Falcons get down enough. They were only down 17 nothing. They needed to be down a full 21 points before they blow the game. That's true. They, they, didn't, they didn't activate the gag reflex quite yet. I'll probably gag when I see this this jersey. So, the the jersey the jersey is beautiful. I think I'm gonna get Ollie like a pet Jets jersey so we can we can watch the Jets together on the couch. So y'all can both be sad and depressed together. Cause why would a Jets fan? I don't understand. You don't okay. Maybe I just don't comprehend. Look, the you Jets don't peep, the fans. You don't understand. Being a Jets fan is all right. Trigger warning for anyone under Time twelve. Out. Can I just say that I have someone who's been a Jets fan for two weeks telling me about being a Jets fan. I would just like to point that out to the listeners at home that Wills has just become a Jets fan in the last two weeks. Continue. Look, fan base ain't growing. I mean, I think I think choosing consciously right now to become a Jets fan, I deserve like VIP treatment. I mean, to be fair, how many you call you straight you're trying to imply that he's not a diehard Jets fan. How many Jet fans do you know that have Mike White jerseys? And this fan has one. To be honest, I only know one true Jet fan in my life. I've only met one. And I don't I haven't talked to him in years, so I don't know if he even knows that Mike White's on the team. So you've got a point there, but All right. Well, just a quick trigger warning for like children who are under twelve who shouldn't be listening to this anyway, just need to like skip ahead a minute, but believing in the Jets is like believing in Santa Claus. You did not go there. It is. It is. It's. It's not about like whether you know the winds are real. It's about keeping the jets in your heart all year round. Well, you're implying that Santa Claus is not real. Santa is real. If you don't believe, you don't receive. And he just drops my presents off early, so that he can go to the little kid's house on Christmas Eve. Well, let me ask you this, Dallas. How long have you believed, and how many times have you received? Well, I've been told that if you don't believe, you don't receive since probably mm, fifth or sixth grade. And so we'll just, um, that's the only part of that question I'm going to answer. You tried to tee me up, but I did not fall into your trap. Anyway, Jet, Jets by a billion this week. Who do they play? <laughs> We're all we're off the rails, but any, anyway, everyone on the Giants is hurt. The Jets are now the best team in New York. Oh, by the way, sorry, just to take a quick step back before you do your segue. Uh, the Jets have the Patriots again because Zach Wilson performed so well the first time they played them. Hey, clean, clean, old-fashioned hate-filled rivalry. I love it. Just you, you look, you fool me once, shame on you. You're not gonna fool. Zach Wilson twice. I think they fooled him like four or five times the first time they played. No, you're definitely going to fool him more than <laughs> twice. <laughs> but you did not just listen to my speech about you have to believe. If the Dallas was right, if the Jets want to receive, we must first believe. Also, I will say if you just will it on the internet and you get enough support, somehow we I got a couple weeks ago, 
you can make anything happen. Look, after the after this coming week, the only thing you're going to be wondering about Zach Wilson is what he's going to get his son, Mac Jones, for his birthday. That's... Mm, I don't know if I'd go that far. Let's just start with maybe consistent touchdowns. Let's just start there. By the way, live action, the Ravens are going for two again. Yes. I don't care if they make it. And they did. This actually might not be bad for me. Because we got nine minutes left. They're da- they're down eight. eight. So they're, they're either going to tie the game up and go into overtime where a field goal might win it of length that would give me the win, or two, they're going to go for two again and miss, in which it's going to come down to a last-second field goal, maybe. So, so it might. It, I would, it, may I say this? The in game the first script case, be turning, Dallas. In the first case that you just pointed out, you would be very correct, except for what's the maximum you can get for a field goal of extreme like length? Five. If it's over 50. Five, okay. If it's over 50, which, he gets five. Which would right. be a game winner. Which would would be a game winner for you, yes. I need Colts to score so that they keep going for two and touchdowns. All right, moving on, uh, we've been monitoring the Washington football team situation. We talked about this a few weeks ago, but we cut it from the podcast we released because we did not want to cast uh, doubt and uh libel slander against the Washington football teams accusing them of drugs but as it actually turns out that's kind of what the DEA does so not only not only has it been revealed that it was it's a DEA investigation about a distribution of prescription drugs so go ahead and fill in the blank what kind of prescription drugs an athletic trainer might be distributing and then they've released a an assistant trainer um, in addition to Vermillion, they released uh, Doug Kwan less than a week afterwards. So, two trainers down. The investigation's about distribution of prescription drugs. Like, and it's got to be a steroid scandal, right? I'm thinking prescription painkillers. That's what I was thinking. Painkillers. Illegal prescription painkillers to make them be able to play next week. Because I know you can't use steroids, but are steroids, well, I guess I'm sure some would be controlled substances and illegal. Well, anabolic but... steroids, you have to have a prescription for, so that's that's okay. one of the places my mind went. You but see how you much I know correct. about that. Uh, I do like Turner's theory uh, that it would be painkillers, because if you'll notice, this is going to become a bigger scandal around the Washington football team, as they are now known. If you look at Vermillion, he was with, Rivera in Carolina and he he was brought on to the Washington football team uh right after the next year after they had fired Ron mid-season it's one of the, it's one of those things where you know Carolina had a lot of stuff going on uh with lack of transparency about player injuries during that time period and I think you go back and you look that Head coach leaves, goes to Washington football team, hires the trainer back, and now you've got this. It depends on how good of a job the organization does in managing the crisis, but I don't think it's outside the realm of possibilities that this becomes sort of a what does the head coach know at what time type issue. 
Like I don't think I don't think they started. I don't think they had a prescription drug problem just brand spanking new this year. So you're you're posing the question of you're wondering does the H does the head ball coach know and how much does he know if he knows anything and will that come out in the ongoing investigation? I mean, I think in coming weeks that's eventually where this has got ahead. I mean, it's too. I mean, you like to take coordinators with you when you go set up in a new place. You yeah. like to take a lot of people with you, but I don't think you usually like training staff is an essential like must hire type deal. I may be wrong. I don't manage a football team, but that just seems like an a, a position that no one ever talks about. Fair point. Definitely will be will be interesting to see how it kind of unfolds and does the DEA go back to uh, the Washington football team's facilities and check this this other trainers assistant trainers offices in his areas or is maybe something that they found you know because let me take that back and wills you know a lot more on this than I do has the DEA or any federal agency released anything on this assistant trainer or is it only the front office has just it's, it's they it's the Washington football team has released him. Which okay, I so mean only should, the... should telegraph you to you that it's a an organizational problem. Yeah, not just one got one rogue head trainer out there doing it. If if you're also getting rid of the assistants, fair. And the fact that he was released ahead of the uh, DEA investigation being revealed, Vermillion was released ahead of time. I mean, WFT knew, like had to have i mean you don't you don't go uh sorry man we gotta let you go and then three days later you're like oh shit what are the cops doing here like yeah yeah i mean the only question would be like if they found it as an organization fired the guy responsible and said like hey we're gonna call this in like and like we're you you have to report it at that point if you know about it you have to report it this is not who we are as an organization like, we want to report it and say, like, whoever comes in and whoever else is in the organization, let us know. They'll be gone as well. So, I mean, you could also argue that they're trying to, they found it and are trying to clean house at the same time. Yeah, there's not a lot out there. I tried to Google search, like, articles and all this, trying to find there credible sources it. and couldn't find hardly anything. And I think that's interesting. The lack of reporting on it, I think, is very freaking interesting. I tried to see if you could find if like search warrants were um, like public documents that you could get a hold of and read, and I couldn't find that out. So I don't know if that is or not. But yeah, I tried to to see if there was a copy of the search warrant, and couldn't find anything. So definitely an interesting story. I think if you're like say if you're if you're Goodell, like you just got you just got done with a year of no fans being at games. Previously that, you had all the controversy over whether or not your players are going to stand for the national anthem. You, you feel like, you got to feel like he was, he was just bebopping around work and was like, finally, everything is freaking normal in the NFL. And then he gets a call that's like, I'm sorry, the DEA did a what? To a who? And then he just goes home and screams lays down in bed and just screams into the pillow. You know, I don't I don't think Adele would be a scream into the pillow kind of guy. Sobs. Um, Sobs. Yeah, I think he sat, sat, sat the in pillow. the corner of his office 
he pulled out his favorite blankie from when he was a kid and sat in the corner of his office and probably maybe sucked his thumb a little bit while he uh, sobbed into his blankie, questioning his life of, what have I done? You know, I mean, the man makes get $50 billion dollars a year. I'd love to be doing that and questioning what I've done as well. Well, like, yeah, I think he, he has to, like, he goes home, he calls Jerry Jones, and he's like, Dad, what do I do? I've got a situation. <laughs> Jerry's like, you build a big ass stadium in Texas, build it, and they'll come. And, and invite your invite your old college team to it every year. And then watch them lose. Yeah. No, they won. No, they won this year. Yeah, that's that's why that's why A and M is so funny because they finally beat Bama, and they can't do anything with that's it. That's right. So there you go. So Arkansas is better than Bama too. That's what I'm hearing. We'll keep we'll keep tabs on uh, Washington football team. We'll uh, we'll see how that that shakes out. We'll see how the SEC West shakes out. Uh, we'll also you know if you see uh, any players from Bishop Sycamore make their way into the NFL uh, in a Giants uniform, we'll keep tabs on that. And I, I think that's our weekend recap for uh, October 11th. This has been uh, Midweek Starters and uh, Go Jets. <laughs>